Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be able to share this message with you today as we actually kick off a new seven-week series. And I'll get to the title of that in a moment. But what I'm liking about this series and liking about even where we come from last week with Jeff's message, and if you haven't heard that, seriously, jump on our YouTube channel, go back, check it out. It, it really shapes who we are as a church and what we want to see as the vision of our church. And so this series absolutely is off the back of that message. You know, this time that we find ourselves in, in COVID-19, is so significant. I don't have to tell you about that. You know that. But what I've heard many people say is that it's actually an opportunity to rethink how we do life. I don't know if you've felt that, but it is an opportunity to go, what does a new normal look like? And I don't know if you felt this with yourself or even in your family about, well, what are the things that are really important that we want to make sure that we get right? And if you haven't had those thoughts yet or conversations, have them. It's a great time as we lead out of this time and, get, and really redefine, get clarity and have new strategy for what is important. Now, we want to do that as a church. And we have been doing that as a church. And as a team, we've been really wrestling with that concept. How do we get real clarity about our values, vision and mission, which is there, but then in strategy, how do we roll that out? What is important? What do we need to pay attention to? How do we discern what God wants for us as a community of people or even as people in general? But for us, as we've engaged with that concept and go, what is really important about Coast Community or the way that we would choose to do life together? And it really comes back to this. And we've found ourselves repeating it time and time again as we've talked about all different aspects of church life and what we would actually do. And it comes down to this statement, and this is our seven-week series, and if we are to redefine and clarify strategy based all aligned with our values, vision and mission, it's this. We want to be a community of people that are disciples, who make new disciples, who make new disciples, who make new disciples, who make new disciples. You get what I mean. And so really, we want to redefine discipleship and go, what is that? And what do we do with that? Because I don't know about you, but that's what we want to see. We want to be have this culture and a community where we see disciples making new disciples, making new disciples. That's what's important for us. That's what's aligned with our values, vision and mission. But it comes with a few challenges there because I think we really need to redefine discipleship. Now, I don't know about you. You might have been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you're watching this and you're just checking out faith and might be one of the first times you've stepped into a faith space. My hope is that today we can actually bring some clarity about that concept of discipleship and potentially even reclaim that word and define it with truth so we know how to apply it. Because I think there's some problems with that. One of the problems I've seen with discipleship or even that word or even the practice of that is we've personalized it. We've made this concept of discipleship about me, about my growth. 
And I think that misses something about the heart of discipleship. Or we may think that discipleship is, is for super Christians, for people who have just, you know, look fantastic. They're really intellectual, got this, this real theological way to approach faith. And we think it's for other people. But I would like us to think about discipleship like a trainee or like an apprentice. And when we start to think about it in that way, it's quite significant. If we think about even an apprenticeship, I mean, I was an apprentice at one stage. Remember, I left school at year 10 and I was actually apprenticed to our local council here on the Central Coast for four years, a four year apprenticeship. But I wasn't really connected with the organization. I was connected to a person. His name was Murray, connected to a person for four years to learn a trade. And I would spend much of that four years with him, with him in every aspect of that trade. I was connected to a person. And so when we think of discipleship in this way that it's actually a training thing, it's an apprenticeship, it's actually a way to learn, it's a way to follow. And you know what? You are a follower first before you are anything else. We follow first. In fact, if I could bring a simplicity to discipleship, it's actually this. We follow Jesus. That's our first priority. Then from that engagement with him, the person of Jesus, we learn to lead ourselves. And then from that standpoint, we learn to lead or influence or make a difference in other people's lives from our family, our friends, where we work, where we minister, you get it. What's interesting, I see um, in our culture, I don't know if it's just our busyness, we kind of get stuck in that leading people space and we can neglect leading ourselves and we can absolutely neglect following Jesus. You know, the last words of Jesus are pretty clear when you spend some time in that space. And I want to look at those last few words of Jesus. Now, this is, this is after Jesus lived in a human form. He's God and he came to earth to be with us and to, to live this life in a human body. And he, he lived for 33 years. And you may have heard the story and know that, that he was crucified and he did pay the penalty for our sin. But he rose from the dead. He conquered death and he ascended back to heaven. And so when we look at some of these last words of Jesus, like in Matthew 28, and Matthew records this. And I don't know about you, but to be in the kind of space of these disciples, I mean, that's what they call And Sometimes we think discipleship is actually referring to them. It refers to you and me as followers of Jesus. But they actually did have like an apprenticeship with Jesus. They hung out with him for three years. They, he's... Jesus said, come follow me. And they did. And for three years, they did everything with Jesus. They witnessed a whole bunch of miraculous things. They saw how Jesus did life. They saw how Jesus related to his father. And, and then he died. He rose from the dead. He spent time with them before he ascended. And these are some of his last words. In Matthew 28, it records this kind of conversation. And it says, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given... All authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, 
or all the peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They're some of Jesus' last words as he lived on earth. And I love this message paraphrase. It says, it talks about, meanwhile, the 11 disciples are on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain, mountain Jesus had for their reunion. And the moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Isn't that interesting? Um, and then Jesus says these same words. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave this charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. And I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. I tell you what, if we could just sit in that passage for a while and let it integrate into who we are, we would see that there is a very clear call, a commission, in fact, on our lives as believers to be disciples who make new disciples, who make new disciples. Ongoing for generations, far and wide, for every people group, all kinds of people. And you're included in this. You might be watching this thinking, oh, that doesn't really make any difference to me. I mean, this message is actually inclusive. The invitation is for anybody to step into this. What's interesting about what Jesus says, he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me to Jesus, all authority. He says, therefore, because of that, go and make new disciples. What's interesting, Jesus' last words could have been anything. He could have said, you know, therefore, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make world peace. But he didn't say that. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and care for one another. Or go and enjoy each other's company. All authority has been given to me. So go and feast and celebrate my resurrection. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and pray for each other. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, look after the world I created for you. He doesn't say, go to Bible college and learn as much as you can. Now, all of that is good. And most of that is really important. But Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. My goodness, all of those things I mentioned and more are all, all good things, but not at the expense of making new disciples. There's an expectation. There's a responsibility that we have as believers to actually go and to make new disciples. And Jesus promises you, he promises me, he promises us together that he is with us in that. His spirit, his presence is with us in that. Jesus is building his church. He wants to partner with you and me in the process. And he promises as we are making you disciples to be with us, to be with you 
in that. In Acts 1, this was written by Luke. Luke was another of Jesus' disciples who walked with him, who worked with him, who understood partly what Jesus was, was doing. And check this out. Luke wrote this in Acts and it says this. It says, in my first book, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. And during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. How's that? 40 days after he rose, he was appearing to people and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but just in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And then he replied, the father alone has authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. See, the disciples were missing the main message of Jesus. And he says in verse eight, in verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, that includes Australia right there. These were the last words of Jesus, the very last words that Jesus would say, because it says in verse nine, after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you to go into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you see him go. So literally, the last words of Jesus when he was living in the flesh in this earth was verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Powerful words. When someone has their last words, I tell you what, you want to pay attention to those last words. Again, Jesus could have said anything, yet he talks about being empowered by the Spirit to be my witnesses far and wide. I, I think it's really funny, actually, when you think about this, that Jesus kind of says, you know, surely I'll be with you when the disciples see him ascend to heaven. I think that's quite funny because the full picture is not there. He says, wait till you receive the Holy Spirit, which you'll read that that happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out. You know, you and I don't have to wait. We have the Spirit to do everything he's called us to do. We're empowered by the Spirit to be his witnesses. We are empowered by the Spirit to be disciples who make new disciples who make new disciples. That is the purpose of a local church. That is the purpose of a community of people of believers. That's an expectation that you and I have on us to share that with all kinds of people. You know, if I was to simplify it again, I think our responsibility is to share the good news of people, uh, to, to share the good news of Jesus, to baptize and to train people and then repeat that. Share the good news, baptize and train. Share the good news, baptize and train. 
That's our responsibility together. We're commissioned in that by Jesus personally. You know, you've heard me say it before, if you've heard me speak, that I think baptisms are one of our best measures, maybe the best measure of growth and fruitfulness. It's interesting in that passage, it talks about being baptized in the name, singular, Father, Son, Spirit, the triune God, you know, the Trinity. Now, here's the deal. Maybe in a church community, we can kind of miss the significance of that, maybe. It's interesting, like we could be, as a church community, in this organisation going, actually, money's running out now, which it isn't. There's been so much generosity in this time. It's amazing. But we can actually see if, if money was a problem in the life of our church, we'd be problem. We're to change things. What are we got to do? It's significant changes, major issue, you know, three months into that space. And we're having major conversation about what can we do? Maybe like now it's like we can't meet as a church. That's interesting. Problem? Well, is it a problem? Not really sure because the church is alive and well. When does it get to a point when we go baptisms? How many baptisms are we seeing in the life of our church? Problem. When is it that we have the conversation that from this measure that we go, actually, this could be one of the biggest problems we have. Now, you've heard me say as well, last year there were six people baptized in the life of our church. That's awesome. Praise God. Celebration for six people that publicly declared their faith in Jesus. But it was six. This year, so far, if you're part of Coast Community, if I was to ask you how many people have been baptized this year, do you know what the answer is? I do. And so far it's zero. That's a problem. It's a problem. Now, I know there's four people right now that want to get baptized. Fantastic. And, and we're going to make that happen. But I can't help but think. If we out of this time go, you know what, the clarity, the conviction based on our values, vision and mission is we want to be a place and a culture that is disciples making new disciples, making new disciples. And we're actually not seeing people baptized as a mark of new disciples coming into the family of God. I can't help but think that that's a problem. You know, if you're watching this and you're thinking, What's, what is this baptism stuff? Baptism is actually such a beautiful thing. It's significant. It actually captures something that's already happened in your life where you make a decision to go, I choose to believe in Jesus. And in that choice of belief, he gives you the Holy Spirit to live with you. Powerful. I mean, that could happen for you today if you, if you, if you want to choose to believe in Jesus. And baptism is a symbol where it's almost like when you go under the water, you share in the death of Jesus and your sins are washed away and you actually you rise up as a new person, a new creation. The old's gone, the new has come. And it's to celebrate what's already happened in your heart. You know, I remember when I was baptized, I remember I was in at the end of year six in primary school. I remember it pretty vividly. In fact, I was probably pretty young in the pastor's eye at the time and he made me do this baptism class twice just to make sure I knew what was going on. And so I, I did that. I remember it. It happened in a church building. I was just tall enough to see over the baptistry, but I can picture it now and it was significant. 
to declare your faith in front of people. It's one of the most significant things in our faith. And you know, I want us to be a place where we see many people actually come to know Jesus and declare their faith through baptism publicly and train and practice and understand this way of life that Jesus has for us. You know, discipleship and making new disciples doesn't happen by itself. It doesn't. Jesus could have done it that way, but invites you and me to participate in the process of disciples making new disciples making new disciples. That's a privilege and a responsibility, and it's an adventure to be a part of that. You know, people all around you need Jesus. They do. In fact, people all around you need you. Because if you're a believer in Jesus, you carry the best news you could ever give anybody. There's lost people all around you. When I say lost, people feeling lost in life, feeling like they're living without hope or without purpose. You know, one of the problems with discipleship and even redefining that and reclaiming that is we think discipleship starts the moment someone becomes a Christian. That's not true. Discipleship actually starts the moment you start a relationship with somebody. It actually is a relationship-based thing where through your relationship, people can understand who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and make a decision to believe. And you can have a role in just helping people naturally, just by you being you, pointing people to Jesus, seeing them have a faith and declare it through baptism, then helping them understand this kind of life that Jesus has to offer. You've probably heard this story. It's, it's written again by Luke, one of Jesus' disciples. Um, and it talks about people being lost. And it says this in Luke 15. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus. And they were listening, listening intently. Now, this isn't, isn't that interesting? People that other people thought, man, they wouldn't want anything to do with Jesus. They're the ones that were listening. And the Pharisees and the religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. And they growled. He takes in sinners and he eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. I tell you what, if you're actually watching this and you're feeling really far from God, feeling lost in life, you think, who, who am I? Could I ever be accepted by Jesus? I tell you what, Jesus would love to be in your life. In fact, he'd consider you that you're his friend. That's powerful. Anyway, it continues. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after loss until you found it? And when, you, when found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbours saying, celebrate with me. I've found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Now, Here's the challenge. We can think discipleship is just being Christians together and helping each other grow. And there can be a bunch of 99 people, but there's, there's a lost person out there and we seek to exist for that person because we want to be disciples and make new disciples and make new disciples. It continues in this story in, in verse 8. It says, Or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Wouldn't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call in her friends and neighbours, celebrate with me, I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. 
Have you ever lost something? It's not a good feeling. Have you ever lost a credit card? <laughs> that kind of gets your attention. I mean, I've, I've done that. I've lost a credit card. I remember I was away with some of the team down in Adelaide at a conference and I was parking the car and paid for the parking and um, without me knowing it, I left the credit card in the parking machine and it wasn't till later that day. I was like, my goodness, I haven't got my credit card. And right then I wasn't going, oh, it's all right. I've got 99 others. I wish I had that. I've got several others in my wallet. I don't need to worry about that one. No, it was like I was on the phone trying to find out where I was, couldn't find it on the, on the phone to the hotel, didn't find it in the end. It's a problem. When you lose something, you go after it. And, you know, if you haven't got a credit card, what about your phone? Nearly everyone's got a phone. Have you ever lost your phone? You lose your phone, it kind of takes your full attention until you've found it. You don't go, it's all right, I've got an old one at home, I'll just kind of, I don't know, use that if it works. You go after it and look for it. A friend of mine um, was posting a whole bunch of mail and, and actually went to this post office box and posted it, but didn't realise at the time she posted her phone at the same time. It wasn't until she got home later looking for a phone, couldn't find it. And it was like, and it wasn't like, I oh, don't worry about it. It's like, I've got to get my phone calling it, couldn't find it, and realised that she'd posted it. Now, this phone actually went in the bag, went in the back of a truck, went to a dispatch centre, and it wasn't till hours, or it might have been the next day, that that phone was found. The lengths that you will go to to find something that you lost are extreme. Yet there's lots of people all around us, all around you, that are lost and have we got that same passion and urgency to be disciples who want to make new disciples who want to make new disciples? You know, there's an invitation for everybody to step into the family of God. There's an invitation for everybody to step into life with Jesus. There's an invitation for everybody to step into a relationship with Jesus, who is the author of life. He created this whole deal. He created you. He created life. Now, here's, here's the scenario. Scott Morrison is our current leader in Australia, our prime minister. I tell you what, I would not be one of leading, be leading a country at this time. I mean, it's, it's interesting enough leading a church. But imagine if I was to ring up Scott Morrison's office and go, you know what, Kev Sheehan's my name. I'm a pastor at Coast Community Church. I would just love to be able to connect with Scott Morrison. Would you mind if I could be his trainee, his apprentice um, for about three, four year period just so I can learn how to lead? I, w I wouldn't even get through a, a phone call. I wouldn't get through him. Would it be okay if I, if I might take 50 phone calls and say I do and I finally get through and go, uh, Mr. Morrison, would it be okay if I connect with you personally, hang around with you? Actually, are you okay if I call you whenever I need to ask any question? I mean, that stuff doesn't happen. It just doesn't. Yet you and I have an invitation to step into relationship with the author of life 24-7. His spirit's with us to connect, to learn and practice how to live this life and to help other people do it. You've probably heard this passage before. It's in Matthew 11. It's, we've used it a number of times, but it's interesting. Check this out. It says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. This is Jesus talking. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. 
Can you hear the kind of essence of apprenticeship or traineeship? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You and I have a personal invitation to step into a relationship with Jesus, the author of life, to not only grow to become more like him and to learn and train and practice how to live the best way we can because Jesus is the author of life, but to also be in his business, which is actually to see new disciples step into the family of God, new people to step in and understand this also and be baptized and grow and to repeat that for generations upon generations. We have that invitation to step in. You have that invitation to step in. It's pretty amazing, really. It would be crazy not to accept that invitation or to at least explore that. If you want to explore it, just read some of the, the Gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the Bible and explore Jesus and see the invitation that he has for you to step into that. Well, what do we do with that? If we want to be a community of people that's about disciples making new disciples who make new disciples, how do we do that? Because I believe that's our responsibility together. And we can do that lots of ways, but to do that together as a community of people, powerful. You know, when we think of the tree analogy that we have where there's this root system that goes deep into Jesus, that's actually your responsibility. That's my responsibility in how we do that. Now, we want to encourage you in that, but that's our personal responsibility. The fruit of our lives, like the branches and how we go wide, that's actually your responsibility. It's my responsibility personally as I'm grounded in Jesus. But we have a responsibility together. And in this tree analogy, it's like the trunk where, where the body of Christ, the people of God, this community, we want to create discipleship environments. Environments that actually foster discipleship, that actually lead people in that. And we see our mission happen where we empower people and we equip people and we encourage people in discipleship so that we can be disciples who make new disciples who make new disciples. It's our responsibility together. Some of the discipleship environments that we want to create are things like these. And it means that there's probably some environments that may not be discipleship environments that maybe we need to let go of. But here's some really key environments, I believe, the team believe, that are discipleship environments. One of those is home groups. Now, that's kind of a no-brainer to meet together in a home with a small group of people around some good content that helps us grow in our own faith and go deeper with Jesus, but helps us go wide in making new disciples. Uh, and if you're not in a home group, we'd encourage you. We're going to have a brand new strategy about how we can see lots of people step into that space that will duplicate and multiply our home groups. It's a great way for disciples to make new disciples. Our Sunday services are another space. My hope is that that's, we can create an environment that's com comfortable for anybody to step in. Whether someone for the first time has never been to church or whether you've been a Christian for 80 years or more that we can actually step into environment and grow in our own faith and be inspired and help people actually make a decision about Jesus and be new disciples. You know, one new initiative we want to launch as we lead out of this COVID time is home churches. Now, I'm thinking different this way. The team's thinking differently this way, that we can see the influence that you and I can have out of our homes. Now, while our home groups can primarily be for people that have a faith and part of our community, anyone's welcome. But 
to actually create these environments in homes where there's people in our church that get the vision of this, that we can actually appoint as home church leaders primarily for people that don't have a faith yet. Like an easier step into a home and be equipped with some good content so that we can actually see lots of people step into that space and so we can make new disciples. You know, one-on-one relationships are powerful. They're great environments like mentoring or coaching or considerate training or actually having a coffee with someone with a Bible open. There's, there's great ways for disciples who make new disciples who make new disciples. Retreats are powerful for that. Even our facilities are actually discipleship environments. Every person that steps into our facilities, all the things that happen, they're actually based on relationship. And someone might not have a faith yet, but there's a relationship, which is discipleship. It just starts very early. Even our facilities speak, even by themselves. We can have special events and series and even things like our school, our preschool, cafe, coast community care, that they can all be discipleship environments. And you and I are actually invited to participate in creating those. That's our responsibility to be disciples who make new disciples, who make new disciples, who make new disciples ongoing. Now to conclude, you personally, if you're maybe checking out faith and maybe I've never met you before, but you personally have an invitation from the author of life, Jesus, the person who is God, who created this whole thing. He created you. And wouldn't it make sense to actually step into a relationship with him and learn how to live life from the author of life? Powerful invitation. And I would encourage you this day, right now, whenever it is you're watching, if that's you and you're just feeling God's knocking on the door of your heart, they just invite him in. Jesus, I believe that you're God. And I invite you into my life. Welcome to the family of God. It starts a whole new journey. And I would encourage you in time that you consider to be baptized. It's a powerful declaration of your personal faith. And then you're on your journey of growing. And then at some point you will actually help other people in their growth and in their faith. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while. And if that's you, can I remind you that you are personally commissioned by Jesus? And can I encourage you to maybe grab those, those two passages, Matthew 28 and Acts 1, where they are the last words of Jesus, and just sit in that for a while. What's Jesus saying to you out of that? I cannot help but believe that in the heart of those two passages, the last words of Jesus, that there's this strong commission for you and I to be people, disciples who make new disciples who make new disciples. How can we embrace that? Can you imagine just for a moment if we did that for a while and we saw many, many people in our community and beyond step into a real relationship with Jesus for the first time? Man, our community, our world needs that message right now. I believe that this crisis is going to lead people to Jesus, but it's going to take you and I to actually step into those relationships, be brave enough. We're empowered by the Spirit. He said he'll be with us and help us on that mission. We can do that. You and I can do that together. 
and actually I'm believing, I'm expecting that we are going to see many new disciples, many people come to faith, many people baptized. I'm just really excited about that and totally believe it's possible. But it takes us to be really clear that in this season, let's redefine things, let's get real clarity and let's be a space. Let's be a community of people where we embrace discipleship and we personally engage with Jesus in training and practices to become like him, but not leave it there. Let's that be the foundation that leads us forward, empowered by the spirit for us to be disciples who make new disciples, who make new disciples. I'm excited about that. Can we pray about that? Lord, I thank you that you invite us into this personal relationship with you. That's just mind blowing as it is. And God, we're just so grateful and thankful that we can be in relationship with you. Praise God. Lord, for anyone today that that might be a new thing, I pray, God, that by your spirit personally right now, that you would, they would just sense that they're personally invited to step into a relationship with you and in the family of God. Praise you. Thank you, God. And Lord, for those of us that have a faith, I pray, God, that we take your words very seriously. Help us to own it, live it, and to genuinely be disciples who make new disciples who make new disciples. God, in our discipleship, train us how to do that. Show us how to do that. Open our eyes to opportunities. May we see people who need that kind of hope or need that kind of love, need that kind of relationship with you. And help us just to take the time and prioritize our life around making time for that. Help us to see, inspire us by your spirit about the importance of disciples, making new disciples, making new disciples, all for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.